0: So that brings us to our kids' corner today. I see my kids have vanished here, so I think Ben is still sick. So, uh, But that's all right. I've got something anyway. So I'm always glad you guys can join me because it makes kind of a nice way to reach these guys out here, believe it or not, too, I think. So, you see my telephone? What do you think happened to that? I didn't drop it. Actually, maybe you can see better if you look at that side. What does that look like happened to it? it? Someone chewed it. Well, and actually, it's a pink phone, so it's actually Lisa's. That someone would happen to be Henry, our dog, right? Okay, so... What do you think happens if your dog chews up your cell phone aside from it breaks the screen and it gets all these teeth marks in it, right? Um, Would it be reasonable to stay angry at the dog for that? No. Why isn't that a reasonable thing to do? I mean, he didn't say he was sorry. Sorry. You know, and he's probably, actually, he did it again, too. Not with this one, but with Ben's toys, right? So he wasn't sorry, and he kept doing it. Should I still forgive him? Yeah, i got to still forgive him, right? You see, part of the reason that we forgive, and by the way, i got a silly side story on this. You know what our older kids used to do? They got tricky with this, and they told me, well, you know, if the dog did that, you'd forgive the dog, so why are you sending me to my room? <laughs> right? So we forgive the dog because the dog doesn't know what he is doing, right? Is that fair enough to say? Okay. Now here's where it can get hard. Do you always know why you do the things that you do? Or does sometimes somebody kind of get under your skin, and before you know it, you zing them or something like that? You're looking like that doesn't happen to you. Maybe it's just me, I'm not sure. But <laughs> See, actually, the Bible says that sometimes we don't even know why we do the things we do. Now, up in Sunday school, you guys are working on the Joseph story, right? And you know what happened to Joseph, right? Like his brothers, what'd they do? what they do? Yeah, they sold him into slavery. Was that a very nice thing to do? No. Um, and and my bet is that probably they didn't really, really think all of that through as well as they could have, but What's interesting is Joseph's reaction to this later. Was Joseph really just angry at him for the rest of his life after that? No. What did Joseph actually do and say? Do you remember? Yeah, what's that? He forgave him, and he said something that's kind of interesting in the process. He said, "What, what you guys did to hurt me, what you did for evil, God intended for good. In other words, you know, I, I think that the takeaway here is that when when people do bad things, you know, and, and getting sold into slavery is probably as bad as it can get. What do you think? I sure wouldn't like that. But uh, I think that we have an opportunity to let God work in those things, so that they can become good things. And the harder they are even the better they can become. How about that? And that's the one I want to talk to the big people about today. All right. So why don't we have at that? So now, while they're making their way back to their seats, um, I sure can attest to sometimes doing things and not knowing why, Uh, especially when I was younger, and I used to refer to this as kind of getting on the highway and accelerating in the passing lane and blowing by all the opportunities to exit that highway, right? And what I'm talking about when I say that is, you know, arguing primarily with Lisa on these things, right? But, um, you know, so now, even as a pastor, my life hasn't been perfect. I'm so sorry I'm disappointing here. But, um, you know... Even when you realize you're wrong and she's right, you just keep going, you know. Ever been in that place? That's the getting on the highway and blowing by every opportunity to exit story, right? And I'm guilty, or at least I used to be uh, sometimes of that one. And it, it serves as kind of a proof in my mind that the Bible is onto something when it says that or insinuates that we don't even know why we do the things we do some of the time and you know, so I want to get back into and this is my last real sermon on offense here, but it's going to apply more broadly than just that now also a word of warning here, our clock seems to have stopped in the back here, so if this, if I haven't I have an hour? Okay. <laughs> if, if this seems to get a little long, somebody flash the lights at me or something back there, I don't know. But. So I want to focus today on those hard-to-forgive situations. And what I mean by hard-to-forgive is the one where you think you got it, but then it comes back up in your mind again later. And you've all heard, you know, forgive and forget, which is so much easier said than done. Because we don't really forget, do we? Well, what I contend that we ought to do instead is maybe forgive until the memory becomes one of forgiveness. You know, um, Jesus instructed his disciples to forgive their brother seven times, 70 times in a day. Now, you know, it seems by the reading that Jesus means that they keep offending over and over and over again. And that is what the clear meaning of the reading is. But I think that it could also serve as a good metaphor this way. Even if something comes to mind seven times seventy times, keep forgiving it, right? But instead, we don't do that. We allow pride to fester, and that allows us to be angry at the same time we deny being hurt. We deny being offended. I wasn't really offended. It was you. You know, you're the one. Like, somehow I don't have any control over how I reacted to it. And then by shifting this blame, I alleviate all of the responsibility in me to handle my emotions. Right? Right? Anyway, I'm not saying anywhere along the line here that the other party isn't wrong, so don't take that. Believe me, I can give you good experiences of just how wrong other people can be. Um, But you've also heard that, you know, you can't help your feelings. Right, and they were also even instructed sometimes that we ought to go with what you feel, go with what feels right. Well, this certainly isn't biblical. In fact, the Bible instead lays out a program where we're to train ourselves to conquer and control thoughts and feelings. You know, and my wife's analogy on this is kind of like putting the kids in charge of the ice cream box, you know. Um That's what happens when we put our feelings in control. Yeah, I just want more, 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 you know, and then pretty soon it's gone, right? So I'm saying that we're still responsible for how we handle feelings and offense, and again, I want to be clear when I talk about offense with this, I'm using offense as a bigger analogy here too, because the word in Greek is scandalon, and really what it means is doing something that's going to lead to offense. Um, So it, it includes being angry with our brothers. It also includes temptation and other things like that. So temptation fits into these categories as well. So, you know, you could definitely build the case that Joseph could have been really perturbed with his brothers for a long time. I mean, the guy spent five years in Pharaoh's dungeon, right? That's pretty offensive. By the way, if we don't get rid of those feelings of offense, you know, when we're living in temptation and anger, we put Satan in control of our hearts. The Bible lays out a situation. It actually calls this... Dabuk Shaid in the Old Testament, which is Hebrew, and it means that we've been possessed of an evil spirit. We translate it as a demon in English, and I know, like I've hit these sermons where I talked about idolatry and witchcraft, and I've said that we've kind of misunderstood these things. If we think we've beaten them in the modern world, they're still here. Now I'm presenting to you demons. How about that? Uh, <laughs> But uh, not the funny-looking sketch of demons. Um, That's a whole other story. Come see me if you want a a lesson on that outside of this sermon. It's really actually kind of an interesting subject. But anyway, we allow evil to get a foothold in our heart, and then we begin to work for that evil. Can you not see this in your own life? I know I can. And those times when you wonder... Where that action that you just did came from, that's probably where. If we don't cast these demons out, they continue to whisper into our ear, and they take a spot in our heart that enables us to do the most awful things. Um... And they whisper into our ear, be offended, stay offended, you can't overcome, they're not really sorry, it's not on you, and you're going to fail if you try and handle this. Ever heard those things or something like them? I know that I've been down that road. And you see, this is how Satan actually works both halves of the situation. You know, while he's working that in my mind, he's telling the person that's offended me, you know, He's never going to forgive you. What you did is unforgivable. You know, why would anybody let you give you a pass on that one? So Satan's message is always one of destruction or hopelessness or self-centeredness. It's always bad. It's always discouraging. By contrast, the Holy Spirit's message, and make sure that you hear this one in your heart, it always prompts toward restoration, hopefulness, an introspection. It's good and it's encouraging. So how then do we overcome? You know, and by the way, again, this applies to all of these offenses and temptation. In our reading today, you know, the reading actually prescribes the exercise that we need to go through to build the spiritual oomph to move mountains. It's 2 Corinthians, and the verses are on the weapons that we need in our arsenal are spiritual. Our battle is not a physical battle, it's a spiritual one. These weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds and fortresses, and those strongholds and fortresses are where Satan gets his foothold in our lives. And they are arguments, pretensions, Beliefs that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. They're exactly what I just described. You're not going to be forgiven for that. Who would, who would let you? Why should anybody? Or, you know, that person, they're just going to keep doing what they did. What's the point? You don't really want to restore a relationship with that person anyway, right? To win this fight, we need to take every thought, that's every feeling and every idea, captive and make it obedient to Christ. When those feelings come into our mind, when those thoughts come into our mind, we're instructed to instead bend that into what Christ would do with it. You're not going to be forgiven? Yes, you are. I'm going to forgive you. I am going to will it happen just as Christ would do. Why? Because he's the Lord of my life. This battle, and likely the whole war, is fought this way. And it's a kind of good news and bad news thing because it's just the battle. Some days we lose that battle. But there's another battle coming, and the war is not over, and ultimately we win that war. The wisdom from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. It's full of mercy and good fruits and without partiality or hypocrisy. That's James 3.7, by the way. In any case, the love of God is the key to the trap. His love in and through you. And by the way, love will not fail, right? We are called to Christlikeness. This happens in the heart at the core, in our control center. But in order to get it to happen in our control center, we need to keep the other junk out of the control center. And that's what we do by taking these thoughts captive. So what's the goal then? Is the goal restoration of relationship? Yeah, ideally it is. But you know, a relationship can't always be restored. Some people are dangerous and others are very broken. But it should at least be to let those people know that we don't harbor any animosity toward them and that as far as we're concerned, they're forgiven and we can move on. And by the way, we must move on, and the sooner we will move on, sooner or later. But sooner is probably better. Um, I'm not sure how am I doing with time. Okay, I'm going to skip a story here. Anyway, um, in in Acts twenty four sixteen, um, Luke, who the who's the author of Acts, actually says that he exercises himself to have a conscious void of offense to God and men. That's actually what I think it means to take these thoughts captive. And we've been warned anyway that certainly offense is going to come. But did you catch in the Beatitudes reading today? You know, Jesus is a prescription for that too. When somebody asks you to walk a mile, offer to walk too. It's hard to take from me if I'm willingly giving to you. This turns this paradigm around in our mind. You're no longer offending me. I'm doing something I'd gladly do for my Lord anyway. I'm helping you. How about that? You know... The other verse that comes to my mind with this is from Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. In this setting, Jesus knows that Peter is about to be sifted or shaken. And he tells Peter that it's, it's going to happen. But here's what I want you to notice out of this. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, Oh, I'll save you. Don't worry about it. He doesn't say to Peter, you don't need to be sifted. I'll stop that from happening. He doesn't even pray that it wouldn't happen. Instead, Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would expand through the sifting. And I say that we are sifted in our offense, temptation, guilt, shame, loss. In all these areas, we are sifted. They all provide an opportunity for spiritual attack Satan's intent is to destroy, but God's intent is to use this sifting and shaking to get rid of the junk and cause us to strengthen our foundation. I know know that I'm still not entirely there. I don't know that we ever all get there. But Lord, get me closer. As James puts it, help me to count it all as joy when I fall into these offenses.